you know, this is probably the fast, let's do it in, in a practical way thing. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. So if, if you have a patient that's seeing an ophthalmologist, um, of, you know, of course there's going to be more detailed, more in-depth in investigation, but veterinarians like myself in, in private practice, mm -hmm. we need tools that will allow us to look at more cats because without ease of use, we don't look at very many cats. Sorry for saying sorry media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. You just jumped right in there. So I, I don't, I, I suspect in the editing, and this what? is Dr. Susan Little, in the oh, editing. <laughs> and this is the per podcast. <laughs> in the editing. <laughs> You don't, yeah. you probably don't hear the one, what is, what is it you say? Three, two, one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're counting down. That is three fingers, yes. two fingers, one finger. And yes. then there is this silence normally yes. because, so I said to myself this time, I'm just going to jump in. And you did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I, I don't, I don't know what my issue is because when you go three, two, one, like it's predictable. I know what's coming, right? It's, it's the deer in the headlights thing. It's, it's you know. I drive on the road and I'm driving and there's a poor little deer in the middle of the road looking at my car, knows that the car is coming and still set, stands there looking at me. And I'm like, no, go away. And then jumps at the end. Yeah. So, and, and so you look at the deer and you go, hello, Susan. Yes, that, that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly okay. It. We can't, we can't, um, we can't dawdle along because we have. We can't dawdle along. Yeah. This is the hundredth <laughs> uh, episode. Of the Per Podcast, and of course, it's the Per Podcast, uh, and I'm here with my favorite co-host, Dr. <laughs> Susan, and we're celebrating 100 uh, podcasts of the Per Podcast, but also 100,000 downloads, which yeah. is truly amazing. And we're talking about hypertension because yeah. the AAFP just came out with a toolkit An about hypertension, toolkit. and we tried to talk about that. But Dr. Susan was talking so much that we only went <laughs> talking about disease causes and yeah. idiopathic. So now we have to cram every <laughs> other thing into 20 minutes. Okay, we can so Dr. Susan, good luck. Go. <laughs> go. Oh. Yeah, that's it. So the, the toolkit is on AAFP's website. So you go to catvets.com. Yes. And they have a, a drop-down menu under practice guidelines, and, and you'll see the toolkits there. And they're free. So that's one they're of the things free. both Yola and I love about AFP. They, yes. they make these guidelines and toolkits available to everybody. So yeah, We love AFP, yeah. and they, they have heart for cats. So yes. anything with cats, we love. But so the, the them toolkit, specifically. The toolkit um, uh, follows a few years after the uh, ISFM released their consensus guidelines. That was- a Why does it take so long? Well, I, you know, honestly, I don't know, um, but I can tell you, and, and you, you know this too, Yola, that yeah. trying to put any guidelines type of document together takes a long time. Yeah. Writing a book takes a long time that too. 
<laughs> some people longer than others. I don't know. I think you and I are in a race right now, Yola, for yes. the, the longest time to get a book finished. Yes, 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 yes. I'm almost done, but I'm going to beat you because yeah. I am in the phase that I'm copy editing. So yeah. now I'm looking at the copy in front of me. Yeah. And I'm at That's chapter five and I still have to 15 chapters and then I can send it back and then it will be perfect. And then it's yeah. published. And then I have to start my next book. <sighs> Heavy stuff. So, yeah. Anyway, back I, to hypertension. Now we can't Hypertension. Yeah. Yes. Let's focus on hypertension we, today. We, when, when we get talking, it reminds me of my dog, Moo. Yeah. Because yeah. when I take Moo for a walk, He's like walking along, walking along, but he's easily distracted. He'll be like, oh, look, a leaf. Oh, look, a squirrel. Like you cannot keep his. Yes. So, so the only reason that Moo is walking is because he has to pee. And Moo <laughs> is not paying attention to that part. He's paying attention to everything else except for pee. And when it's minus like 25 degrees Fahrenheit, he doesn't care. He looks like, hey, a snowflake. Hey, yeah, another he snowflake. He wears this little, uh, he wears a thunder shirt, actually. So uh, was, weren't we talking about hypertension, by the way? We were. Okay. So one of the uh, best things about the toolkit, other than that it's free, is that mm. um, it has essentially a web page on each topic for hypertension. So each page uh, is like a, uh, a summary, right? It's kind of like the, you know, the study notes types type of thing. So it's a, a, a quick, short, um, overview. So there's there's one for classification, there's one for clinical signs and and treatment and so on. So I think we should pick up with um, with what about the classification thing. So uh, in other words, uh, what is normal blood pressure and what is not? Because that that oh that's a good question. Yeah, because that classification changed a few years ago too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that 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 is, you know, we I think we probably should talk first uh, about how to take a blood pressure, mm. because yeah. if you don't know how to take a blood pressure, you probably cannot know what normal is and what's not. Yeah, yeah. So so what is your favorite method of taking <laughs> blood pressure, Dr. Susan? When I do lectures on hypertension, um, I say that it's getting a good blood pressure measurement is like 50 percent technique and 50% um, a dark art. It's probably taught at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> so, cause it's uh, challenging in cats. Um, good equipment is a good place to start. And I think most experts would agree that either a Doppler or a high definition oscillometric are the two types of equipment that, uh, that they would recommend. And uh, one of the, again, great things uh, about the hypertension toolkit that AFP has is they have a whole section on measuring blood pressure. So what equipment, what are the steps, where, not just how, but where should you do it? So they have very detailed, like where you put the cuff, they have very yeah. detailed info on that. So um, I think what, I think we should talk about when, what's the cutoff for hypertension, right? Hmm. So and is this a question to me or what well, is the... No, it's, I think it's, it's worth talking about because in people, we, get, we can get classified as pre-hypertensive, right? Like and your, your head yeah, so there. Wouldn't, wouldn't it depend on 
how stressed the cat is and that sort of thing. So, so the, the, the guidelines, whether they're for people or they're for cats or they're for other species, assume that you're getting a true measurement, right? That you're, you're taking care to avoid the stress-induced part. So it's with the assumption that you're minimizing the, the stressful part that could uh, falsely increase it. And if you don't do it well, all of your patients will be hypertensive, right? Because, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. But I mean, if you have a cat that is on the edge, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, if you put them in a stressful situation yeah. or you don't have a cat-friendly area that you can deal with, mm-hmm. there's a barking dog next door or yeah. uh, he was just chased around the room. So yeah. I think that feline-friendly handling and yeah. a feline-friendly environment really helps whatever tool you use. Absolutely. So that's what I wanted to say. Oh, excellent point. Excellent point, Yola. Thank you. Yes, good feline-friendly environment. So um, in the last change to uh, hypertension recommendations, Uh a pre-hypertensive category was created that we didn't have before. Ooh, so that's new. It is, well, it's a few years new, but yes, it's relatively new. So we didn't have that before. So now there's um, four categories, uh, of course, normal. So, and, and I'll back up a bit and say that in cats, we are primarily classifying by systolic, not diastolic. Yes. Yes, and not mean. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and that's largely, well, it's probably two reasons. One is that it's um, not easy to measure diastolic. Mm-hmm in cats and probably systolic is the more important for the majority of our patients anyway. So it's based on systolic. So um, with the, the recommendations now, normal would be below 150 systolic. And, and pre-hypertensive would be 150 to 159. Now- What, 159? 150 to 159. Wow, that's a very small range. Yeah, pre-hypertensive. I mean, these these things evolve over time as we learn more. So Mm -hmm. that's where it is now. So hypertension is 160 and above. 160 and above. And So anything above 160 is hypertensive? Yes. And then anything below 150 is normal. And then you have this very small little range where it is pre-hypertensive. And then you have a a small group that are severely hypertensive and they're 180 and above. So those are the four But that But that's so interesting. So you need to have, it's it's so difficult to take blood pressures in cats. And then they still, I mean, that's why you need to have really good equipment, I guess. You do. And and I, I think this fits with what I see clinically, uh, what, uh, my, uh, my associate vets and myself see clinically in, in cats and that there is kind of this group that sit in the gray zone and they're, they're tough because what do you do? Do you like put them on medication now? Do you wait and you recheck them? So the, the, the toolkit and the guidelines help you work your way out of that dilemma. And I will tell you that one thing that you can do and that you should do and that yeah. isn't done enough is to do a fundic exam. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, on every, well, every cat anyway, but particularly any cat you're measuring blood. You can see swelling of the nerve. You can see the eye seems to be the most sensitive organ, Mm. right? And so if 
you have a patient and you're not really sure if they're really hypertensive, yeah. maybe they fall into that kind of gray zone or yeah. they're like, they're a little bit stressed, you know, not severely stressed, but a little bit. So you, you, it's really common to have some doubt about is this, does this cat really need medication? And looking at the fundus can be something that a factor that will help you decide. Right. So what are common things that you see with your fundic exam? I, so if I imagine something, you know, uh, I always learned that it was swelling of the optic nerve mm -hmm. and, and it's bleeding into mm -hmm. the retina. What, what are the things can you see? So probably the earliest um, sign of trouble in the retina is tortuous vessels. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm. they start to get very um, tortuous. Um, and then you then you will start to see some um, he hemorrhage and some subretinal um, edema happen too. Um, so I, I would say those are probably the most common signs. And then it can progress. You can get retinal detachment. You can mm -hmm. get papilledema, mm -hmm. right? That swelling of the um, optic nerve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it I can really run one. the gamut from no visual effects to blindness. Mm. really runs the gamut. So, so if you get a cat that is suddenly blind, yeah. I mean, that's something that you should rule out then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So it's a good idea to be looking at um, uh, the fundus of cats anyway, because if you haven't looked at too many retinas in, in cats, then you're not really sure what normal is. Right. And, that's, and I, th I think you bring up a really good point yeah. because we tend not to practice on healthy animals mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think we should. So uh, your, your eye exam should be part of your normal exam, but you cannot just look at the eye like that. You do have to, you know, make them, I, I guess, make them bigger before you can really look. Well, there, there's some tools now that allow you to get at least, um, uh, a cursory view of the fundus without having to dilate pupils. Okay. So um, ophthalmoscopes like the panoptic, that's that's the type that we use. Mm. Um, and that's enough for screening. Um, so you don't have to dilate the eyes. It's really easy to use. It'll allow mm. you at least to screen the retina. And if you see something kind of funky or you're not sure what it is, then your next step would be to dilate the eyes and uh, and have a better look. I so. do want to talk with an ophthalmologist and see if they agree yeah. with you. But, but yeah. you know... Because, uh, yeah. you know, this is probably the fast, let's do it in, in a practical way thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure, sure. So if, if you have a patient that's seeing an ophthalmologist, um, of, you know, of course, there's going to be more detailed, more in-depth in investigation. But veterinarians like myself in, in private practice, mm -hmm. we need tools that will allow us to look at more cats because without ease of use, we don't look at very many cats. So it, it increases the uh, ability of us to look at a lot of cats. And once you, so I would recommend, like as, as Yola said, that you have a look at, do, try to do fundic exams. So like maybe you're good with the hand lens, you know, the hand lens and the yeah, yeah. source way. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not good at that, but some people are really good at that, right? Yeah. And so you you should do you should do one or the other to to screen retinas. And if you look at a lot of normal cats, then you'll get an idea yeah. because retinas can be a bit funky, you know. Like there's sometimes if you don't look at them all the time, it's yeah. tough. And it, yeah, so you you really do need to get comfortable with what sort of normal variation. 
Right. So I was really surprised by the fact that cats that are hypertensive have such a high incidence of neurologic abnormalities. I don't know that they have a high incidence, but the severely hypertensive ones do. So sometimes they only get diagnosed because they started doing things like circling or becoming ataxic mm. and the owner brings them in, you know, as a sudden, like as an emergency. And then they yeah, get the, the guidelines say it's up to 46% of yeah, cats. Yeah, it depends on, again, the study, right? So mm -hmm. yeah, where it's very study population dependent. So I, I would say in the, uh, the patient groups that I see, it's nowhere near that. It's yeah, rare yeah, for yeah. us. Yeah. But then again, we do a lot of screening for blood pressure. So we probably catch more cats before they get severe enough to have neurologic signs. Yeah. So they do say that it, it happens more commonly when you have the extreme ones above yes. 180. Above 180. Yeah. And then they talk about howling, disorientation, yes. balance disturbances, vision loss, hearing loss, altermentation, seizures, seizures, and yeah. lots of other behavior changes. So yeah. I thought that was really interesting to hear yeah. that because, you know, you would not even immediately think of the brain and mm -hmm. the, the nervous system as, as being, you know, blindness is, mm -hmm. I understand that part, but but it's, it's more than only the optic nerve then that's yeah. affected. So it's really, yeah. uh, you know. It's... You should be looking at blood pressure in cats that present, especially with fairly acute onset neurologic signs. What now, about the heart? So not so much. Not so much. You, you will get some right ventricular hypertrophy, but probably not enough to give the cat congestive heart failure. Now, I will qualify that because... Years and years and years ago, because Yola and I both have been vets for a long time. <laughs> time <laughs> stamp. A long time. And yeah. so back in the early years of my career, um, we saw a lot more severely hypertensive cats. You know, it was early days and it mm. was the equipment to measure hypertension wasn't so common. So it didn't get diagnosed very often in the early stages. And so I did see in the early days, more severe cases, yeah. and some of them would be in heart failure. Nowadays, with screening being so much easier, it's very rare to see a cat with heart with clinically significant heart disease only yeah. from hypertension. Yeah, it's uncommon. Yeah, they also mentioned that there is no correlation between the severity of the heart yeah. disease and the hypertension. Yeah. So that already gives it kind of a way so, so you would think it's more a problem of the vessels itself than the heart sure sure mm -hmm. yeah 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 so so you know you certainly can see some as i mentioned some left ventricular wall hypertrophy um in cats that are hypertensive but it's it shouldn't be enough you know unless the cat's severely hyper hyper um hypertensive it shouldn't be enough to cause clinical heart problems so okay but, we have um, 10 minutes left i know so i was going to say these are all bad things we've been talking about like losing your eyesight and congestive yes. heart failure there is very good news with hypertension and Ooh. the good news is treatment yay let's go for the treatment yeah we have great treatments so there's an old drug that we've been using for a long time for hypertension and it works really good really good I don't know, would you have come, well, you've probably come across it. 
right? If you've been uh, um, operating on patients with hypertension. Uh, I'm low. Amlodipine. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy, amlodipine. Yeah. So it's a calcium channel blocker. Yes. Yep. And it is, um, it's a potent dilator of peripheral arteries. That's how it works. Yes. Yeah. And it works pretty quickly, I think, too, if I remember it, it works well. Quite quickly. Now, there's a whole host of other drugs that if you get one of these cats that has suddenly spiked their blood pressure to like 240 or 260 and they're going to lose their eyesight. So there are some other drugs. These cats are usually in the hospital and they might be given like intravenous medications. So there is a group of those, um, but that's a small percentage of hypertensive cats. So most of them uh, we'll get pretty quick effects from amlodipine. You know, I think within a, I'm going to say a range of one to three days, you'll see the, the, uh, clinical signs start yeah. to reverse and the blood pressure come down. Yeah. yeah. And really what you want to do is get them down to, you know, to the 150 at least, right. you know, away from the 180. That's, that's the main thing that you want to do. So it's nice to have a fast acting yeah. drug that can do that. Uh, and I, I, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit later too, is that, you know, my uh, mother was on, you know, blood pressure medication and in people, it, it's such a fine balance between too high and too low because she had severe side effects of, yeah. and I don't think we see that in cats that much. No, it's, it, it's, uh, at least I think it's uncommon to see cats go hypotensive. Now, one reason might be people with high blood pressure are often first treated with a diuretic. That's often, you know, for That's early true. hypertension, it'll be a diuretic and then yeah. they'll start adding other medications onto That's it. True. We don't do that with cats. Yeah, so you have a cat hypertensive, you treat them with amlodipine, amlodipine. and I never can pronounce that because <laughs> it just is a, a tongue twister. Um, when do you want to get them back into the clinic? Yeah, so if, if the cat has had has um, uh, clinical signs that are worrisome, you know, or, mm -hmm. or you're really worried about their retinas, um, then then I'll probably reevaluate them in under 48 hours. That's kind of, I would say three days, within three okay. days max, um, you know, unless they're so severe, they're hospitalized. But I would say within three days, if, if they don't have really severe clinical signs are not worrisome i'll usually have them back in five to seven days mm -hmm. yeah so i'll kind of and then you have that. two options it's either still too high or mm -hmm. it is in okay. your range that you want to have it which yeah. probably is less than 160 or less than 150 so what do you do if it is still too high well so um you can adjust the dose a bit there's a little bit of leeway in the dose okay um, Yep. So you can increase the dose uh, a bit. That might help. You'll always want to make sure the owner is actually getting the medication into the cat. That's, that's such a good point. Compliance, yeah. compliance, compliance. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, a, a compliant client is probably the best client you can have, but they're not that many. <laughs> actually, I think it's the cat that we have to worry about being compliant. Really? No, I think it's both. I, 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 I would love to blame the cat, but I think it is both. It's so difficult to pill cats anyway or whatever yeah. to do with cats. And, yeah. and so. And this is daily for the rest of their life, right? Oh, it's my not gosh. Like a short -term thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, we talked about, you know, we need to get more 
transcutaneous medications. Yeah. This will be great to have that. For. There is a liquid um, medication. So the, the other drug that also works really well in cats is kind of the newer kid on the block. And mm -hmm. that's Telmisartan. So okay. it, it's a, um, uh, it it's, uh, has a different mechanism of uh, action. It's an angiotensin receptor blocker. It's a category of drugs that's used very commonly in human medicine. Mm. Yeah, so Telmisartan is used in cats. Um, I believe right now there's only one company that makes a veterinary licensed one, and that's Symmetra from, from Boehringer. Okay. And it is a liquid, and it is quite palatable. So for hypertensive cats, you've got two choices. You can use a, a pill or you can use a liquid. They both work. They both work. So that's good news. At least we've got options. And I think Beringer was also the uh, um, the sponsor of these uh, this toolkit, if I remember well. Uh, no, AFP does not. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I'm wrong. I was thinking of guidelines. So yes, Boehringer uh, would have provided what they call an educational grant yep. because putting a toolkit together costs money, right? Like even just the web yeah. design. No, no. Yes. I can, I can imagine. I can see the, the both ends. I can see yes. it's beneficial for AFP to get some money to make this yes. happen. And also for Boehringer because they have a drug that, yes. that is available. So that, and there are probably other drugs too. So it's not that I'm, yeah, heavily promote promoting Boehringer, but I, I I have to applaud them for for doing oh, this. Yes. So uh, the toolkit's wonderful, and mm -hmm. I will say that AAFP is very good at ensuring there isn't undue pressure or influence from any sponsor. So they're very good at being arm's length. I've I've quite a good confidence in them, and so you will see in the treatment section in the toolkit more detail right about. Uh, what a schedule of rechecks might look like about uh, sort of your second line drugs, if your first line drugs yep. alone aren't enough. So what are the And it gives the doses. It, it, right. it, it's, it's quite nice. And, uh, you know, just for, for our friends that don't like to use computers like me, it's also <laughs> available on a mobile friendly version. It is. So, and it's, it's very easy to navigate. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, congratulations to AFP. Yes. And that's why you're part of our 100th Yay. podcast episode. Yeah. They have a really good FAQ section too, and even a client section. So there's client materials that you can download and use as well. It really, oh, that's great it because, really uh, and, great and co in, coincidentally, we'll be doing a Cat Cafe podcast on the same topic. So if you want to have clients um, have questions, you, they can yeah. always listen to the Cat Cafe podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So we're, we'll, uh, we'll have a, hopefully a nice little uh, talk about uh, hypertension for cat owners too. So there's a lot of tools and, and that's what we need, you know, busy practicing veterinarians. Uh, during a pandemic, it's even worse. You know, everything takes so much longer to do. So to have these nice, ready to go, uh, quick reference, yep. up to date, uh, like these AAFP toolkits, uh, gosh, that's worth its weight in gold these days. Okay, Dr. Susan, the golden tip for to pill a cat for the rest of their lives? To pill a cat? Oh, gosh. Huh. Um, I, th I think just get started on the right foot. Because, and, and the one, I'm going to turn it around and say, there's one common mistake you should not make. How's mm -hmm. that? Yeah. So the one thing you should not do 
is in most cases, it's never 100%, but you should avoid adding the medication to the cat's food. Mm. Unless it's designed to do that. There's the odd drug that's designed that way. Mm -hmm. But unless it's designed that way, don't try to hide it in food. Mm. Yeah, it'll work like the first time. And then after that, the cat knows it's there. They're so clever. They're clever. And you don't want to stop them from eating. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Especially yeah. when you have a renal patient that, you know, already might have problems. You don't want to divert them from, oh, this yes. food I don't want to eat because that's even worse. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, the, the good news is that most veterinary clinics um, have a, a, either a veterinarian who has lots of tips and tricks or are even more often uh, a veterinary technician who has lots yes. of great advice. Yes. Go to yeah. your vet. So yep. we use our technicians. Like that's the type of question that we say, oh, you know, we have just the person to answer your question. That's awesome. Use your vet techs. You know, this has been great. We're back to 25 minutes. Um, it's going so fast. We got uh, it all in though. This is a really cool topic. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't so. do that bad as a you surgeon. You did really good, I have to say. Oh, thank you. You know, that makes me feel good now. <laughs> now I have an even better weekend, you know. <laughs> Oh, the sun is shining. I'm speaking with one of my favorite cat vets ever. You know, just as you say that, it's been snowing all day and literally the sun just came out. <laughs> oh, look at that. Yeah. So, you know, I have to tell you some sad news though. Uh-oh. Because all my little tulips that <gasps> yeah. came out were hit by the Arctic storm oh. thing that went through and they're yeah. all looking like very yeah. sad and dried out and yeah. hopefully they will be okay but yeah. the ones in the pots i think they're fried i mean it was so cold yeah so we'll see maybe it's not going to be a good tulip year are they from holland um yeah so the story here is that i normally imported tulips from holland yeah and I was very diligent of doing that. And so I bought hundreds of tulips and then brought them back to the U.S. and planted them. The problem in Kansas is that tulips are eaten by vermins. They are voles and moles and, and, and whatever other creatures they have here. And so they do really well one year and then they're gone. And spending a lot of money on Dutch tulips, I was like, whatever. So a couple of years ago, I went to a superstore, I will not mention the name, but start with a W. And there was a advertisement for tulip bulbs, like one-tenth of the price. <laughs> so I bought a lot of them and I brought them home. And then I read on the back of the package, they were made in Holland. Oh, wow. So they were like one-tenth of the price and they came out like crazy. And then it doesn't matter if they're eaten. Yeah. So. So the only things that are not eaten are my daffodils because they're toxic. So, but uh, yeah, so this year probably will not be a good tulip year. So that's a little disappointing, but for the rest, the snow is gone. The sun is shining. I'm happy. So what else do you need? I live in the frozen North. It'll be another month at least. Yeah. You live beyond the wall. (laughs) Yes. Beyond the wall that, uh, you know, it's too cold. I love, I love Canada. Canada is one of my favorite countries. And I love the people there. I love Timmy Hortons, but I could not live there for at least seven, eight months out of the year. (laughs) Yeah. 
You have to be a hearty person to live here. I know. <laughs> Dr. Susan, this has been wonderful. Yay! What do people need to do? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, they, what they need to do is because it's our birthday and it's 100 <laughs> years together um, and 100 podcasts like and 100,000 downloads, what you could do is write us a nice message and uh, on your podcast provider that will really help uh, and give us five you. stars. So just because it's our birthday. Yeah. So, yeah. And we, and, and again, I will say it, we look very good for 100. And we'd look awesome for 100, <laughs> you know, awesome. We so. Should be so, so thank you very much. Uh, if you want more information per podcast.net yeah. or at our social media handle at per podcast. Right. And we'll see you next week. Next week. See you later. Bye-bye. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove screwbite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 